Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12 says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Let's pray. Father, We pray that those words that we just read would be alive inside of our hearts and inside of our lives. Let us labor, God, for your glory, for your good work, and to help others discover the love that you have for them. Guide us. Let us be your lights, God, every place that we go. Let this be a church that puts a light in our city that's shown like never before, we pray. Guide us and lead us by your spirit, in your wisdom, and in your love. In Jesus' name, amen. I took a little bit of time this week and uh, just kind of flipped through the internet and, and looked at pictures of cities lit up at night. And there are some beautiful, beautiful cities out there when they're lit up at night, aren't they? And it, this, this just comes back to this thought of city lights and that we are called to be the light of the world. What that means is we're called to show the glory of God. We're called to, to, for our life to be lit up with his wisdom, to be filled with his power, and to show his love to a world that is dark. And the question that we're asking is this, what would our community look like if we could see it in a spiritual perspective? Not how bright is our city in comparison to other cities, when it comes to the physical light. But what would our city look like if we could see it in a spiritual sense and the kind of light of the world that we are? What would your life look like? What would our church look like if we could see it in a spiritual sense? Would it really be a beautiful light of the world or would, be, would we be a 25-watt flickering bulb? What would we be? Last week we began to talk about this and what it really takes for, for this to happen and the fact that when we think about what the work of Jesus, Jesus came to save us. And we're thankful for that eternal gift of grace that's offered to us. But not only did he come to save us, he came to transform us. We are to be, as Jesus said, born again by the power of God's Spirit. As Paul writes, we're to become a new creation in Christ Jesus. This work is done in our hearts and we are changed from a nature of selfishness to a nature of love, to a nature that is centered on us, to a nature that becomes centered on others, because of the work that Christ does in us. And so we asked you last week to look uh, deep into your life, and we pray that the Holy Spirit would help you take a good look at 
the places you go and the places you live and the, the things that you do and the people you see and to ask yourself, do I really have a heart of love for these people? Because we're not going to shine in the darkness if we're filled with darkness. If we're going to shine in the darkness, we've got to be filled with the love of God. And, and today, over these next couple of weeks, we want to talk about what, what are some very practical aspects of how this works. What do we become as we become a people of love and as we become a people who care for others? And, and today I, I want to talk about one very specific thing that we need to be doing. God wants us to love people. And that love for people should push us and encourage us to invest in people. To be a people who encourage each other. One of the scriptures that we read, if you've been reading along with our Bible plan over these last few weeks, one of the things that we've been doing is every night before bed we read uh, about five, we read five psalms. This week one of the psalms that came up is Psalm 145. And listen to what it says in verse seven, four, 4 through 7. One generation, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty works. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on the wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall put forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. This is the responsibility of investment, of, of the life of a generation of people who have been touched by God who know God's greatness, who know how wonderful it is to walk in a relationship with God to declare that to another generation. People who have been set free from addictions to proclaim the freedom of God that has come to them by his power. For people who have been lonely and broken to declare the healing power of God that has happened in their life. Whatever the issue may be, whatever God has moved in our life to do, it's our responsibility to share that and to declare that to the next generation. It's one of the questions I ask if you've been reading along with us on Facebook of uh, mom and dad. Do your children know how God changed you? Is it not just about bringing them? Have you said, do they know your biblical story? Do they know your conversion experience? Do they know how your family came into the kingdom of God? We are to declare the works of God's kingdom to the next generation. And I want to tell you this, I believe, from the earliest days of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt to today, this is one of the places where we fail. We have this tendency to just not make the works of God and the things of God a natural part of our conversations. 
and we fail right here. We end up hanging out with people just like us. We end up spending our time with people at the same spiritual stage that we're at. Maybe the same age. And all of our time gets sucked up into being with people who don't need our influence. Is that wrong? Is that evil? No, there's, a good, there's good things about that. But we also need to be able to spend time with those who aren't there yet. So here's the chief question of the day. If you want to be the light of the world, if you want your light to shine brightly, if you want to be somebody who makes an eternal difference in others, which I believe every Christian should desire, who are you investing your life in? Who are you sharing your faith with? Who are you taking, ministering to, and speaking to with the intention of seeing them become more in God and more in Christ than they are today? Can you name them? Can you sit in your mind right now and say, boy, here's the four people, the three people that I believe God has brought me into their life to speak into their life. And I'm doing my best to love on them, to care for them, to speak to them, to build a relationship that is credible with them so that I can help them discover what God's done in my life. If you want your life to shine brightly, this is the place. I want to tell you, your life shines the brightest one-on-one. Can I say it again? Let me listen to it. I want you to capture this. Your life shines the brightest one-on-one. As a pastor, I hope my life shines up here. I hope you see my life, and I hope my life shines to you, and I I point you to the wisdom and the glory of God. But I believe with all of my heart, my life shines the brightest with the people I'm the closest to, with the people I'm investing my life into, with the people I'm speaking to and spending time with that get to know me more intimately than can ever happen in a mass setting. I want to tell you, your life will shine the brightest when you begin to invest in people's lives and share the hope that you have in Christ with them. Now, I'm going to give you a couple of rules for this. Here's rule number one. There, this has to be intentional investment. This isn't just something that just happens by accident. At some point in that relationship, a shift has to make has to come about, and you have to begin to say, I believe God has brought me into this relationship to show his glory to somebody who needs to see it. That may be, that may be a, a son or a grandson. It may be a niece or a nephew. It may be a, a co-worker or a friend or a next-door neighbor. But at some point in time, you begin to realize, I, I believe God's planted me here for a reason. And I'm going to look for the opportunities to begin to speak into this life and to help this life. Paul speaks this very word to us in, 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 his, in his writings, telling us to make this kind of investment. Matthew speaks about this at the end of Matthew 
when he repeats the words of Christ that says this, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. This is a very intentional thing. This therefore is there for all of us. We are called to go and make disciples. This isn't just the job of the pastor. It's not just the job of the evangelist. It's the calling of every believer to understand that God has sent me out to proclaim his word at the most powerful places that it gets proclaimed is when we do it through relationships one-on-one. In Timothy, 2 Timothy, it says this, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Do you see the generational transfer here? Paul's saying, listen, I invested in you. And the call of of, of your life now is to take what I've invested in you and I want you to invest it in others. And I want the people that you invested in, I want them to learn to do what? To invest it in others. It's this responsibility of investment. If you want your light to shine, if you want your life to be powerful in a dark world, if you want the light of your life to reflect the glory of God, it's best going to do it one-on-one with a few people that you're investing your life in very intentionally. I would tell you it's got to be about the Word. This isn't just about teaching them to be a better fisherman or to play golf better or to, or to, you know, to sew better or whatever. Those things may be some of the tools that bring you together. Some of the commonalities <clears throat> that allow you to, to get connected. But at some point it's got to go past you being a nice guy or a nice gal who knows more about sewing than they do. Who knows more about fishing than they do. At some point in time in that relationship, it has to shift to be about the word. So again, Paul writes to Timothy and he says this, keep close watch on yourself and and, and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Another version puts it this way, watch your life and doctrine closely. For in doing this, you will save yourself and your hearers also. See, when you get down to this one-on-one thing, the way you live your life, the way you respond in tragedy, the way you respond in times of heartache, the way you respond in times of temptation, the way you respond before a world trying to get you to compromise, all of that matters. The way we live our life matters, whether we're going to shine in the darkness, how we watch our life, and how we watch what we believe and know the word that's why we encourage you read the word study the word watch your life and doctrine closely and you'll save yourself and your hearers also this isn't just about hangout time with a friend or a child or a grandchild at some point in time there has to become this investment and here's the third rule you need to know 
This is a long-term investment. This is a long-term investment. Uh, Think about it. What would happen in our community today if every believer in this war, in this room, would begin after today to invest intentionally into some people's lives around them? If you would say to God today, God, who is it in my life that you want me to begin to invest in? Who, somebody at work, somebody in my neighborhood, somebody at school. What would happen if, if every one of us in this room over the next year began to invest in two or three, four people, spending time with them, building relationship with them, getting ourselves in a place where we can go past the point of just knowing them to the point of investing in them, looking for that day where we can do more where we can be intentionally begin to lead them towards a better life and to declare his mighty works. What would happen in America today if Christians all across the United States would decide? It is our responsibility to pass on what God has done to us to the next generation. It is absolutely something we're going to answer to God about someday, and I can't just pass this off to be the responsibility of the church. I've got to find some people that God would lead me to, that God would put me in their life, and I'm going to begin to invest in their life. See, what what would that look like? Well, at, at first, it's just being a friend. But the intentionality pushes me farther because in that friendship, I've got to build some credibility before them and I've got to build some bridges into their life. They've got to see me in the nitty-gritty of life. They've got to be in my home. They've got to be at, with me at, at different times of life. They've got, to, they've got to see how I act. They've got to see what my life is about. We've got to enter into some discussions that, that sometimes are tough and that are hard and we've got to be able to go back and answer some tough questions at times. Maybe, maybe first, as we begin to look deeper, the conversations go deep, maybe it's first just around about how to make decisions or maybe it's about values, maybe it's about an election and why we believe what we believe. Maybe it's about dreams and relationships, all with the hope and the prayer that the door Uh, to the foundation of faith gets opened so we can declare the mighty works of God. The intentionality and purpose. This investment is long-term. It's a long-term investment. Friends, I want you to think about this. In America, we have this tendency to want the big, quick fix. We want the big program, do a big thing, and everybody gets transformed. But take a look at how that's worked. Take a look at how the big programs have worked over the last 50 years in our inner cities. The government has gone in and poured millions, if not billions of dollars into what I believe to be well-intentioned programs to lift people up and to help their lives become better. Has it worked? Sometimes I think the NBA and the NFL has done more to lift people out of the inner city than the government has. Now, I'm sure that's not true. I'm sure there's more numbers. 
But isn't it limited? The numbers are limited. Our inner cities are still filled with pain and poverty and abuse and brokenness and addiction. Is it better than it was in the 1960s? No. What happens, friends? The best way to change lives is investment. You can't do it with the big face. We do the same thing with, 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 oh, we'll bring in this big, uh, we'll bring in this big revivalist speaker, or we'll bring in this big event, or we'll do this big thing, and all the people will get saved. We'll, we'll, we'll pour money into television. We'll pour money into radio. We'll pour money into this, that, and the other. And everybody's going to hear it, and everybody's going to get saved. You understand that in mass evangelism, about 1% to 2% of the people that are adults that are born again happen in mass evangelism? Do you know how most adults will tell you they got saved? When you talk to adults who got saved, came to Christ as an adult, the story usually begins like this. I met this guy at work. I met this gal who lived next door to me. I had this uncle that I I really liked being around. Nine, the, far, the vast majority of conversions that happen after a person is an adult starts with that story. Somebody invested in my life. Somebody began to spend some time with me. I began to see their life. They began to talk about some serious things. I, was, I started going through this crisis of life and they were there. And they began to give me answers that I would have never thought of on my own. And I began to see things in them. This is where it usually begins. To change the world, it takes all of us investing in the lives of people. And the more we invest in lives of people, the brighter the light of Christ shines. In my experience, this, this, this means we've got to invest in a lot of people over a long period of time. You don't go to a, into a baby's room, be praying for my daughter. She's about to have a baby. She wants it now. When that baby's born, we're not going to walk into the room and say, okay, whatever they name him, because they haven't named him yet. Uh, Here's the deal. Here are the ten rules you need to know for life. Got it? Okay, we're done. That's not the way it works, is it? No, you've got to make a long-term investment in raising a child. There has to be a long-term investment in lives for us to really learn how to let the old man go and the new man live. All of us have to be serious about that journey that we want to be a people who let the old man go and learn how to live in the kingdom. That never stops. We should be continual growers in the kingdom of God and continually helping develop others so that they are growing in the kingdom of God. And I would tell you today, I don't want to discourage, this is tough stuff. You will have people you begin to invest in that won't buy in. There'll be people who'll check out someplace in the process. There'll be people who'll reject your advice somewhere along the line. That's going to happen. But every now and then, you get one, they connect with God, and their life is changed for eternity. In my experience, it takes, a, it takes a lot of investment. In the kingdom, there's an enemy, 
and the flesh and they want to resist us. But we keep investing. Remember, Jesus didn't get them all. There were ones that rejected him. But there were others like John and Peter that became world shakers. That today, we sit here today because of the teachings of the apostle. Investment takes a lot of effort and it takes effort with a dream. And sometimes we're disappointed. Ministry to people is hard and disappointing many, many times. But the upside is eternal and you can start now. You know, I, I love the stories in the Bible. One of the things I love is the more you read the Bible, you begin to see untold stories. Stories that run through the Bible but are not necessarily specifically written about. And the more you read the Bible, the more you see them. Uh, remember, when you read, you may read, you may read a paragraph and it takes you a few minutes. And many, many times in that paragraph, you have skipped years of time. Years have gone by from one sentence to the next. At the end of chapter 7 of Acts, Paul, then known as Saul, steps onto the scene of Scripture for the first time. He is out to stomp out this new sect. He is, I believe, zealous for God and to protect the ways of God. And he hates what he sees. He sees it as an attack on the truth. He will gain support to arrest and persecute people. And we see him in this first scene where he is standing there and they're putting their cloaks at his feet while they stone Stephen, the first martyr of the church. He will gain more and more support in, in the first part of chapter Acts and he is very active in, in Acts chapter 8, the, the scripture says, of dragging men and women off to prison. He's been so successful at this that the church has scattered and, and Paul begins to look, Saul at that time begins to look for new hunting ground. Where can he go? And he gets word that this sect is growing in Damascus. And he seeks out the permission of the high priest and their consent to go to Damascus so that he can arrest and drag back to Jerusalem those who believe in this sect and are propagating it, bound and tied for trial in Jerusalem. Remember, the enemy always wants to shut the church up. The enemy always wants to fight us. The enemy always wants to silence us. But it is on that road to Damascus that he is confronted by Jesus. And in chapter 9, we read of his conversion experience. And the Bible says he immediately, immediately began to preach Christ. Verse 23 says, after many days. What happens? He's in Damascus after many days, which most theologians believe is probably about two years he stayed in Damascus. And he's preaching Christ. The Jewish people there and those who are opposed to his teaching begin to plot to kill him. And he escapes Damascus and goes back to Jerusalem. 
He gets back to Jerusalem, but they don't know all the things that's happened in Paul's life in that time. The church is still scared of him. They don't want anything to do with him. They know what he's been like before. They think this is maybe a ruse or a, a trap of some type to, to ensnare them and to capture them. But there's this guy named Barnabas who takes a chance and goes and meets with him. And Barnabas recognizes that Paul's been changed. And he eventually brings him to the other disciples. And Barnabas begins to invest in him. And Paul does what he's called to do. He begins to teach and to preach and to challenge the Hellenists and to challenge the others in that community until it gets so stirred up that they're about to, they get word that they're about to kill him again. And so they ship him off back to his hometown of Tarsus. He's there for about five years until Barnabas shows up looking for him to take him to Antioch. In Antioch, there's a flourishing church, there's a growing church, and as Paul and Barnabas go into Antioch, they grow into this place of becoming spiritual leaders. This great friendship now is developed between Barnabas and Paul, and the investment of Barnabas into Paul's life has just been this phenomenal thing that has taken place and impacted the kingdom of God. But during a time of fasting and prayer, the, amongst these elders in this church, the Spirit of God says to them, set apart for me Barnabas and Paul for the work that I've called for them to do. And they start their first missionary journey probably three to five years after Paul has gone to Antioch. So you've got to realize probably about 12, 15 years have gone by since Paul's been first saved. They take along with them an assistant. His name's John Mark. John Mark. He had become known as Mark. Mark has been around the church a long time. It was in Mark's house, Mark's mother's house, that Peter fled when he had been set free from prison by the angel. Mark is a cousin of Barnabas, and Barnabas is now actively investing in Mark's life. And so he's going to go along with them on the first missionary journey. But partway through this first missionary journey, something happens and Mark bails. He takes off. He heads back to Jerusalem. So now more time goes by. They finish their first trip. They come back to the Antioch. When they, 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 they go through the, the Jerusalem council. So they go through all of these, these places. And now it comes to the second missionary journey. And they're going to go back and encourage the church and plant new churches and do new things. And Barnabas says, let's take Mark with us. And Paul goes, no way. He bailed on us the last time. And the Bible tells us that they get in these two great friends these two people who've been through so much together get into such a dispute, 
It's so strong that they separate. And Barnabas takes Mark and goes to Cyprus. And Peter takes some other guys, or Paul takes some other guys, and goes another way. We hear very little about Barnabas. Many think that he lost his life sometime shortly after that. But Mark's a different story. He continues working in the church. We have evidence of him being in Babylon with Peter. Most believe that he is the author of the book of Mark writing the preachings of Peter. Telling us about the eyewitness account that Peter has. But there's some unwritten things about the story. Paul, some 10 years later or more, is in prison in Rome and he's writing to Timothy. And listen to what he says. For Demas, in the love of the, for the, with this present world, deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. For he is very useful to me for ministry. The investment of Barnabas had turned into fruitful ministry. It wasn't always easy. It wasn't always simple. But it had turned into a point where somewhere this unwritten story of Paul and Mark reconnect and Paul begins to see the wisdom of Barnabas' investment in Mark. And now it's fruitful to him. Who do you believe in? Even when they fail, who do you see someone with a bright future that may not see it themselves and others may not see it? Others may not believe it. But you see past what's temporary, past the point of them bailing now. And you say, I see something in them. I see the gift of God, the fruitfulness of God in them. And I'm not going to give up on them. You want your light to shine brightly? Don't dream about stadiums or mass meetings. Dream about who God wants you to minister to one-on-one. -on -one. Who does God want you to invest in today? There's a place for the organization. But hear me, there always has to be boots on the ground. There always has to be people building people. And that's us. That's you and me. Investing. Letting the Lord, let the Lord show you people, grandchildren, new believers, younger believers, non-believers, that you're to invest your life in. Spend meals, spend hours over meals with them. Spend time doing your hobbies and your, 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 your social things together. Watching their life. Letting them see your life. Speaking into them. Becoming the hearer of life. That you build them up and declare the mighty works of God pray for wisdom and ask God who should I be investing in this is where you up your wattage you up your wattage one on one amen let's stand together today and let's pray prayer teams would you come down to the front please
Lord, right now as we stand here, I just pray that even now, you would begin to speak to our lives about people that you want us to invest our lives in. Father, even, even this moment, across this room, touch believers' hearts. Maybe it's a grandchild, maybe it's a child, maybe it's an aunt and uncle, maybe it's a niece or nephew, a friend at work. Lord, speak to our hearts and let us up the wattage of our lives. Taking time, understanding. Sometimes they'll bail and run. Sometimes they'll be gone for a period of time and come back. But that we're going to make our life open, available, there. That whenever they want to come, the door is open. And we're going to keep trying, and we're going to keep ministering your word, and we're going to keep sharing your faith, faith in you, and keep sharing the truth, looking for the eternal harvest. Let us not grow weary in well-doing. But Father, help us to be a people who begin to invest in others. I just pray, Lord, you let this message today. I believe this is such an important part of who we are and what we should be, Lord. Let this message today sink into our heart and let us begin to think intentionally, purposefully about investing in others' lives. In Jesus' name. As every head bowed, every eye closed. As you stand here today, you'll say, Pastor, somebody's been investing in my life. I really want to get my life right with Christ today. I'm I'm really ready to step across that that, that bridge and and enter into the kingdom of God. Are you here today and you're ready to make that stand and ask Christ to be your Savior today? If that's you, just raise your hand right now and say, Pastor, pray for me right now. I, I I want to ask Christ into my life. I'm taking just a moment to look across this room. Amen. Today, we're going to end this service with a very simple call. We're going to worship God here for a moment. But my simple call is for you to say, God, who would you have me invest in my life in? And as you pray about that and think about that, others, if you have needs in your life, you have a work issue, you have a physical issue, you have a spiritual issue in your life, there are some prayer teams down here who want to pray for you. And we believe God changes things when we pray. Amen. Amen. So as we worship, if you need prayer, come on down. We love you. God bless you. Thanks for being here today.